Michael Beneville is the founder and chief executive officer of Beneville Studios. Michael is a storyteller and he works across all scales and is agnostic to medium. Michael is also the chief creative officer and visionary leader behind Area 15, a 250,000 square foot reinversion of immersive art, entertainment, and retail opening in Las Vegas in early 2020. Michael and the Beneville Studios team have been creative consultants for the award-winning New York City headquarters of iHeartMedia, the completely reimagined entrance to the Empire State Building Observatory, the lounges for Blade Helicopter in both New York and Miami, and the Warner Music Group offices in Los Angeles. Today, the firm's purview includes millions of square feet of design and projects that span the globe. So, Thank you very much, Michael Beneville, for agreeing to come and interview me. We, um, we have an interesting relationship. It's probably <clears throat> the most unknown side of me, um, and I thought it would be interesting for us to have a conversation um, and it might be a little surprise to some people that, that, that this, even this part of my brain. But I think the great thing would be if you could tell everyone a little bit about who you are and what you're doing. What's well, such a great question. <laughs> uh, what am I doing on this planet and in this lifetime? Well, this yeah, this yeah, yeah. This, this part of it. Uh, well, my name is Michael Benville. Uh, I'm an artist, designer, inventor, creator, I guess, storyteller. Uh, I have a shop here, a studio in New York City. Not a shop, but a studio. And I like to think of it as an idea manifestation machine. I've spent my 48 years of life creating it and the last 15 really concentrated on it. And it's best described, I think, as an idea manifestation machine. Its purpose is to uh, create the things that are in my head, but largely by commission or on commission. So we're, we're tasked with creative uh, challenges and problems, and then we solve and build. And there's a wide spectrum uh, that we deliver in. I might like to say I'm agnostic to medium, although I'm a you know, painter and uh, love history and storytelling and all these kinds of things. Uh, but my, my team and I, oh goodness, at any given moment in time, we might be making a a bespoke book, a, a clock, a machine, an immersive room, uh, building, you know, big buildings out in, uh, in, in Las Vegas right now. We handle a lot of uh, projects for iHeartMedia and design their headquarters and the way they look in the world. And, uh, and, but at the heart of the business, or at the heart of the studio, when it began, we built one-of-a-kind objects for individuals and their families around the world. And we, we've just always done that, just quietly and in the background. And it's a Maybe a I don't know four or five thousand year old business. You know, people have mm -hmm. been people have been yeah. doing that. Artists have been doing that for a long time. And I'll use this to kind of segue into my fascination with Norma Kamali and why I think when we first met we really clicked. Artists have always been inventors. Also, they had to create mm. the. Oftentimes, they had to create the medium and things that they were that they were working in. Um, I had a painting teacher once who said that oil paint was invented so that stuff would look better. <laughs> they needed to paint armor right, and things right. like that. So literally they had to work out how are we going to take this mm. flat looking paint and make it shiny and they invented oil paint. Mm -hmm. And everything else that goes along with, with art. Was well, we started looking at our projects, um, I've always been somewhat of a futurist. I love sci-fi and mm -hmm. looking forward and, and all of these things. And I sometimes, I feel present and grounded in my body always, but I feel as if I live in the past mm -hmm. and the future yeah. at the same time yeah. when I walk through places. So my first question for you is for you to retell me the story that I remember from our first conversation of Norma working in the airline industry <laughs> and staring at a, an early a computer. A computer, yeah. Yeah, tell me about this, because we started talking technology that day, yeah. and we're going to get into all of right. it, but... 
take, take me back to that moment. Like, how, where, right. how, and how? Well, I mean, I, first of all, just to respond to a little bit of how you described you and what you're doing and, and a little bit more of what you're doing later on, but the there is so many familiar statements you made about yourself that I feel about myself. And there are so many similar things that we have. I mean, it, it just is crazy, even to the fact that we're in the whitest white all the time, uh, floor to ceiling, that we, the environment that we create is has that feeling. We're thinking of the future and understanding how the past affected the future. We're in today, but and we're grounded. We're not, you know, lofty airheads, but where the future is so exciting that you lose your breath over the possibilities. So when I was at the airline, it was early in my understanding that this and I'm sure you had your early moments, too, of understanding what it was that just fascinated you about the future and what could be. And I I was an art student. I wanted to be a painter. Michelangelo was my god. I had Michelangelo all over my room, Rudolf Nureyev all over my room, and I I just wanted to create in his, you know, image or something of that spirit. And so when I realized that, and I had a painting scholarship and a scholarship to FIT, and I had a horrible job, first job interview out of FIT. It was the most objectifying experience I had at that age. And I thought, I don't want, I left crying and, and I, I, didn't want to have to deal with any of that kind of stuff in my life. And I thought, I'm going to get a job at the airlines and travel. So here I am in the office, faced with this Univac computer. Not, I never even knew what a computer was. Nobody was really talking about it. They were in schools. They were in beginning in the airline industry. And here I could know what was going on on the plane. Oh, a wheel fell off a plane. Oh, something else happened or the flights, early flights. And all of this information is coming through. And it just was so fascinating to me and a total contradiction to everything that I'd been about. But I was obsessed with what this could be. And I remember big wires coming out of the floor. They were constantly opening the panels in the floors and chunks of wires connecting these computers and everything was new. There was always a breakdown. And But when it worked, it was really, oh my God, this is really fascinating. I can know stuff that's somewhere else and it's just coming through in type. Of course, it was like green type on a square box like this. And I still don't know how to type. And I swore I never wanted to learn because my mother wanted me to, to be a secretary, just to be safe, because the painting would fall through. And, and so that was the first realization. What was your first realization that, that there was something about the future that was fascinating? I, in, in just hearing you speak to, I just learned five more things that we have in common. Uh, I, my, my name is Michael, so I, I love <laughs> Michelangelo also. <laughs> By the way, I, have you seen that, the picture of, of, uh, of the Sistine Chapel with Michelangelo? And, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, of course you have. But have you seen it compared, the God's cape compared to the brain? Yes, yes. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. I a, mean. What a laugh all, yeah. the, all the years later. 
Because, uh, of course, uh, no one was dissecting yeah, anything yeah. except for him. He, he, brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant, <laughs> brilliant. <laughs> but yeah. I won't get off. Oh, well, I'm so uh, glad that yeah. you feel that way. Well, there of was course. that. Also, I was, um, I was enrolled in tennis and typing camp uh, oh, for God. a summer, and I failed miserably at both. Funny. And so I, I really do sort of tap out. Yeah. You know, the typing doesn't work. No. Nope. Um, and I don't know how to program or anything like that. I'm not, mm-hmm. you know, technology for me is not the act of, right. of, of right. creating it. Technology for me is the act of harnessing it into narrative. Right, right. Um, but I think there's a deeper thing also. I, I think that, and I'll answer your question. Let's see. The first time that I really understood that the world around me was, was changing. It's a really great question. I grew up in, in other countries. And so... The first 10 years of my life were in Africa and Lebanon and mm-hmm. the Middle East and things. And, and at that time, this was the early, you know, early yeah. 70s, there wasn't any TV. I mean, yeah. there was an hour of TV in Mauritius or something like that, and there was five minutes for kids. Yeah. I'd come back in the summer and, and binge, binge, binge. Uh, but, uh, but so I, I kind of grew up isolated in a really lovely way from technology. Mm. I had this big trunk of records. Because there wasn't mm-hmm. even radio to listen mm-hmm. to. So oh, my God. All, the, all these songs. Uh, so technology for me was something that I would experience. I remember my father bringing home a calculator. And it must have been about 75, 76. Mm-hmm. And it was, I mean, the thing must have cost $1,000 or something like that. He was a banker. And I remember we just sat there like, oh, my <laughs> God, like right. you can add numbers right. and divide. Right. I mean, it really, you can't give them away at a bank anymore. Right. Right. Uh, but that, that was my first thing. And I'm not a math guy. Yeah. So it really, I, I had this click that, my God, something has been invented that gets around my you know, undiagnosed but certain dyslexia. Mm-hmm. And here's this, here's this right. wonderful machine that's going to allow me to, 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 to do something mm. that I, I'm not very good at doing. So that, yeah, was, that the, was my first. Yeah, uh, the, the, <laughs> the adventure of what can be and um, sort of the mystery and the, the uncovering or getting an idea and seeing it through or taking it to the next steps so exciting it's probably the most exciting part of designing for me when I'm not designing but I'm inventing I'm like I'm flying I'm at the happiest point Um, and so here we are now and VR and AI and all of this the algorithm yeah all of this otherworldly stuff is so mysterious and so exciting i i just i just want to be immersed totally in it i don't want any distractions um but life goes on and you have to keep doing what you do but the more we can have of it and the more we can understand it i think the better it's going to be for everyone. So to you, it's not a it it's not a hostile feeling. No, yeah. well, it's not to it's you. It's not to me either. But I think that for a lot of people, uh, it it's an awfully scary moment in time. They, uh, I, I wander through places a lot with that that you know the different time periods in my head mm. and sort of think, my God, how many how many people am I surrounded by who actually understand that the world around them has so profoundly changed mm. and how, how terrifying it must feel if you have no no sense of of what mm. might happen yeah and no one knows but but yeah. it's going to be science fiction well it is it is, it is science already fiction. yeah so i uh, you know i what makes me nervous about it is the lack of information that's out there that people can't be more educated about it, to understand the power of it, and that fear, fear is always, it always exists where there's new ideas, and that's part of the excitement of it. But if we are afraid of anything new, then we're not going to benefit from the incredible opportunities that 
can be achieved because of technology especially. So do you feel I, I, I sometimes feel that our, our role and responsibility on our my, my level and, and yours is to, to act as, as midwives to, to a process also. Mm-hmm. It's not to evangelize blindly, but it's to sort of build narrative and story around it mm-hmm. so that it fits in and makes sense. And I think about, you, you once told me about a window that you did with mm-hmm. the mannequins. Right. And it, and it went, what, tell me oh, that again. Oh, God, was, that, was, that was 95. Yeah. It was just about 95. So in 1995, I heard that people were able to have websites where they could communicate directly with the consumer. And it was like this freedom because I felt so controlled by buyers who were either mathematicians or were not as experienced as I was in in the world that I was in and were sort of not really telling the story properly and it made me crazy and I felt I felt like somebody had a their hand over my mouth and I couldn't speak and now I could speak directly to you. I could tell you. You could see what I wanted you to know about what I was doing. And I was like, I could not wait. And so I set up a website, and um, I did a window of mannequins, and I screwed monitors to the because they were headless mannequins, so their necks on up were these antiquated, obviously, um, computers. And they fit beautifully on, and they had all these wires, and I had all the wires around. And it was beautiful, actually. And the mannequins were gray, and the computers were gray. And I was talking to, like, an abandoned village because nobody had a clue of what I was doing, or like, what is this? What are those TV sets? Are they broken? I was like, no. And so I felt so happy that I could finally communicate. But then I also understood that my biggest fault is that I do things too soon because I can't wait and I don't know how to hold back. You too, obviously. <laughs> we're, we're, we're thinking that all through right now right. With, with VR and AR. Yeah. M- mostly VR, too. The tail is so long mm-hmm. on, on when these things will fall, but relatively speaking. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it used to take hundreds and thousands of right. years, now and now it takes yeah. years. But the, the, for something to take two or three years to be mature is a long, yeah. long, long, long time. I, I think about... Um, well, two things kind of come to mind. One is uh, my, my girlfriend's obsessed with space, with uh, astronauts and flying. And oh, really? All the, yeah, because she's getting her pilot's license and all that. But we went, uh, we were down in Houston, and we went to, we've been to go to all the space places. Mm-hmm. And we went and visited Mission Control in Houston, which is just the, the room where right. all of this came from. And there are computers in the room, uh, but the, 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 the docent there, is, so the guide said, now, you're thinking that these screens are all, computers on the desktop. They're not. They're wired to a mainframe that was down in the in the basement. So it's, it's just a screen, really. The computer was down in the basement at the time. Mm-hmm. And it was massive, this huge computer. And he said, but do you know that the entire landing on the moon was done with a computer that had the memory of five JPEGs, four or five JPEGs photos? Wow. That that was the storage capacity. Wow. Wow. Everything Look made, at, yeah. the, I mean... It, it, wow. So, so this is this, this is this this moment where, uh, where where we're set free because we both have on our on our table in front of us here this device that is our, mm-hmm. our communicator, our Everything. wand, our you know alchemist tool. It's mm-hmm. it's just it's the most extraordinary. And it's recording. It's us recording now. and shooting. It's right two, three, four of these things. Right. Just magic, mm-hmm. absolute magic. The means of production suddenly in anybody's hand, anybody who can you know, mm-hmm. afford a phone, but that's getting to a place where that, that yeah. level of smartphone penetration is 
is is getting you know, yeah. just incredible. So I I uh, I don't know I I I love that story about the mannequins because I I think that it uh, it was a way that you communicated your vision mm. in this artistic in this artistic way. And I also love the the fact that it was too early. Yeah, because well, that's mm. that's kind of how. I think it's the curse of people who can have a vision and get excited about it and can't wait to have it fit the time. And um, and I'm trying to be more controlled about it, but. I don't think that's ever going to correct. I mean, it's just, I, I can't help it, but that's what I love. Um, and, and then there's the moment when people catch up, and it's exciting because then there's another opportunity to then tell the story again in a more mature way. Um, but the, the freedom that that gives you, so the freedom that the future holds of possibilities, um, I think is, is so hopeful and just like landing on the moon or taking that whole, taking the space venture even further, has to be part of who we are, our identity as human beings, because if we don't explore and try new things, the possibilities then are never going to be endless. They'll always be minute and insignificant. So I love adventure, but we're both cancers, so we're also homebodies. So we, we have this, this effect of understanding humanity and nurturing at the same time craving this desire to be in this new space. So the new space. Yeah, like, I was going to ask I, you sort of what's a let's let's take the sort of snapshot moments of calculator and, mm -hmm. and uh, airline computer, and then look at this moment in time and say what's the equivalent? Mm. Of, well, epiphany wise. Yeah, I mean, um, so I um, I love VR. Um, I love the fact that. People can, and it's not happening yet on, on a mass scale, but people can understand a situation or a concept viscerally in, in a way that a movie can never do because we're watching another experience. But when you're in that movie and you're feeling everything that's going on, and understanding maybe something about a culture or a concept viscerally, the impact of that can change the world. The more we know about each other, the more it will bring us together. The less we know, the more fear there is and the more distance there is between us. And so I see VR as an opportunity to bring us together in a way that is so much a part of the way we breathe. Uh, and that has never happened before. It can happen in film, it can happen in live experiences, real, real experiences, but the possibilities of creating a global experience that is kind and generous and understanding, I think, can happen with VR. And VR can be entertainment, but I think, and educational, but that level is where we really transform human behavior. And we are at that point where we need the tools to do that. Otherwise, the we can't laugh anymore, so how can we tell stories? We can't we can't love anymore because we're, we're connected to devices. So this device right now is separating us from this visceral experience. So VR has to move fast to help us all come together again. But then you 
of course, said, come by and visit me. I have a surprise for you. And I'm like, yeah, I'm there, Michael. You know it. And so I know your surprises are otherworldly. But um, my experience with you, with high fidelity, it was so memorable and such a moving experience. And I think about so many parts of it that I want to break down and talk to you about. But maybe you can explain first sure. so everybody knows what yeah. I'm talking about. I think the moment that we were experiencing there was that it's, it's actually here. It's going to take a while for it all to really be up and running and, and, and people in it. But what is high fidelity? High fidelity is the brainchild and creation of a friend of mine, a guy named Philip, uh, Philip Rosedale. And uh, he was the creator of Second Life, which yeah. was the sort of right. precursor back in the day. Uh, but still, mm -hmm. in a vibrant economy right. uh, and people, you know, seeing and meeting in a, you know, in a parallel universe is what Second mm -hmm. Life was. It really is. Yeah. Part. Yeah, it really is. It's a functioning world. Mm -hmm. um, there are hundreds of thousands of people in there still. Uh, and High Fidelity is his reboot for, for the 21st century. Uh, in VR, mm -hmm. and it's uh, it's extraordinary. Uh, it's I think similar to if you you know we've read the book uh, Ready Player One mm -hmm. and seen the movie. It's the Oasis, mm -hmm. and it's the Oasis is a is a place for those people who don't know it that that is a a virtual world in which all worlds exist. Uh, any any mm -hmm. kind of teaching, learning, communicating, traveling, uh, seeing each other, dancing, all these things. You, you inhabit an avatar, mm -hmm. and uh, the avatar can look exactly like you or be your wildest fantasy of yourself. And it's not a game. Mm. It's really life. Yeah. It's going and meeting people. And, and so the, the thing is, is that when I, I've been following VR for years and years and years because it needed to, it's, it's the logical progression of something that I need to be able to deliver to my clients. Mm -hmm. um, we make we make books the way books have been made for thousands of years on presses that are 100 years mm -hmm. old sometimes or and these machines but you deal with three generations of a family and uh the the kids the kids today the kids today are don't digest their information through books for better or for worse mm -hmm. they they catch it off of an ipad or right. there's more they burrow into their information rather than mm -hmm. reading it on on the page and so vr is a is a place where Every creative expression that we've ever had is possible in this yeah. world. It's the, first, it's the only media that's ever been created where it encompasses all the others. Everything. Yeah. All the others. Because you can read yeah. a book in there, and you can paint anything, in there, and you can yeah. do anything. And the odd thing about it, too, is that our, our whole way of interacting with, with books and film and is that our minds do this wonderful trick of convincing that we're not, convincing us that we're not in the, the room, we're in the book. Right. We're there with right. Huckleberry Finn or whoever it is. Or we're not in the movie theater, we're in the movie, even yeah. though we perceive that there are chairs left and yeah. right. Um, in VR, your you're brain there. is doing the exact yeah. opposite. It's yeah. trying so to work out why, why you're we, yeah. I'm, I was in a conference room, and now I'm in this completely parallel yeah. world, which I think is one of the growing pains, too. Of learning. For, of that. learning yeah. how, to, how our minds can adapt with that mm. rapid a, a, a flip. Yeah. It's, um, you know, we're incorporating, I think... We've talked about it before, but we've had multiple states of of being for millennia, and and then recently, you know, they they've been a little more complicated. But we we sleep, and in sleep we dream. Mm. We're in our mindful waking state, sort of unaltered by anything. That's another state of consciousness. Um, we alter our consciousness with food and mm -hmm. alcohol and drugs and you know all kinds of things. Um, we alter our consciousness by, uh, by by reading books and seeing TV and you know elevating ourselves and then meditating, I mm -hmm. guess, and probably physically, right? Yeah. We we can achieve all those things mm -hmm. through, and I'm sure there are a few others, but we've never had augmented reality and virtual reality uh, to add to yeah. those those yeah. building blocks of everything that we understand. Yeah. Incredible. It's, it's yeah. It's exponential. I it, think when when I tried to explain this, first of all, people. Um, and when I explain my AI experience, people are frightened for me that I'm interested in this. And um, like, why are you doing that? And so the 
the the whole and I want to talk about high fidelity a little bit more because there's something about that experience. So yes, it was really hard. Every brain cell flipped over when I was in that world with you. And then when we came out, I had to sit and hold on to the sofa because every brain cell was going back again. I I couldn't register that I was really in another world that exists with this world. And nobody, when I tell them that, nobody accepts what I said because our brains don't really believe it. It's only a movie. It's only a story. And so that was very profound. The other thing that I found interesting and I think a lot about is if we're in a parallel universe and we're interacting with strangers um, and we want that experience, do you choose an avatar that is exactly like you and is as much the authentic you as possible? Or do you decide on one or two or 20 parallel universe identities? And I think that's a big deal. That's a, a big deal question, very right? Big deal. Yeah. So for me, I chose. You were fa- you had this fabulous outfit. <laughs> I, I mean, you styled it right up. <laughs> I loved her. She was in this yellow bodysuit with a wig, something like my hair. Yeah, sort and, of a Uma yeah, and, uh, yeah, and I, I yeah. and and I I liked being this tough girl running around. But um, but then I thought I'm I feel dishonest because I want. I wanted my authentic self to meet all of these people, and I wanted them to understand a little bit about where I was coming from. And we express ourselves, obviously, through the way we dress. You chose a jacket for that jacket for a reason. You have a story behind it. You can tell why. So... There was, and that avatar looked just like you, and and with time can look more and more like you. And I thought, I loved seeing you because I felt safe. It was my first time. And seeing you, I knew I was okay because you were there. And then when that first person or something popped up and kept changing what the avatar was, I had my first fearful moment because I didn't know what this person was about. I couldn't read anything. My intuitive self was totally blocked and I didn't have a sense of it, but I felt safety with you, which is why I kept trying to be near you. <laughs> and when it, when this thing popped up and you said, oh, I recognize your voice to the character, and then he kept changing his identity. That was a frightening yeah. experience for me because all of my radar and my antenna of like knowing about someone because of the visual instincts I have uh, were totally taken away. And so I thought, well, is that what that universe is? Or am I relying on the past by wanting the avatars to look like who we are in this universe. So, first of all, talk about why you chose to look like the way you do in your avatar. Yeah, and that was actually Philip's suggestion, and it's something that I think he cares about. He feels that in, you know, in being the designer of a, of a world and a universe, that we should be, a, I think, on some level accountable to ourselves. So while people are encouraged to you know, costume and be whatever, you know, you can be a... 10-foot fairy or something like that, whatever you want to be. He thinks the baseline should really be the person themselves, and we should conduct ourselves as ourselves. Mm-hmm. Because it's not a game, and it's not just play, and there's, 
there's work and fun and conversations, and it's useful to sort of have this version of yourself. So I, I had myself scanned. Uh, it's called a, it's a, a, a DOOB scan, D-O-O-B. Mm-hmm. And I went downtown and uh, had myself scanned. And the scan takes, I don't know, maybe a minute and a half, two minutes. Wow. That's it. Really? Yeah. It then takes a couple of weeks for them to make the, right. the scan of you into a marionette so that you're, right. you're, you're embodying this, uh, this thing. And the first time I met myself, I actually had one of my, uh, one of my uh, colleagues, one of my workers, uh, Andrew, was, he said, well, do you want to meet yourself by stepping into yourself or would you like to meet yourself by finding, finding yourself in the room? And I said, wow. well, that's really interesting. And, uh, and I said, actually, you get in it. And so the first time I saw myself activated as an avatar, I was, uh, I was an, an avatar that I'd chosen, and right. I went in and, and I instantly recognized the, I, he was the back of, uh, it was my, the, my, my, my back was to myself, <laughs> right? And then I came up, and, and Andrew started moving, and I could tell that I wasn't moving the way I would move, yeah. but I could see that it was yeah. m- me possessed. Yeah. Uh, in this way. And that's, you start to get into, I mean, I, I realize on some level our conversation must sound bonkers Crazy to a lot of people. people. Yeah, I but know. The, but there's a mirror world, is what they're calling it, that's happening. It's the third phase of something that's really rather extraordinary. We created the internet, well, the internet was created, and that's the infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Uh, people were uploaded into it in the second phase, and that was the, that's us inhabiting. Mm-hmm making the infrastructure work. So social media and all these right. things are dominated by, uh, you know, by those companies. Um, and now the third thing that's happening, and you can start to read articles about this you know, all over the place, is that every object and place in the world is now being uploaded. So mm. very simply, that's, that's maps and all kinds yeah. of things. But if, uh, if 10,000 people are taking pictures of the Eiffel Tower, and every single one of those phones is smart, and I mean in an hour, not yeah. not over the course of a year. Yeah. Ten thousand photographs in an hour uh, are happening of the Eiffel Tower, and all that information is going to into one place. You're constructing a live model right. already in mm-hmm. in a parallel this world, and yeah. so that and then the next piece of it is every object, every piece of clothing. You you asked about the there. Mm-hmm. You commented on the jacket. I I had to choose something to wear for my scan. Because it was going to take this beautiful mm-hmm. copy. I mean, you, know, you see 3D digital prints and yeah, things like yeah. that. That's that's what the company the way, is. Yeah. Um, but it also does these, you know, builds these avatars. And uh, but you'll see, you know, your wallet in your pocket or something. That's how detailed the scan is. It's mm-hmm. not general at all. And so I thought, well, what should I wear? And I got some advice. And um, uh, uh, my girlfriend suggested that I wear this jacket that I have. My dad's jack- jacket. Now, it's a Tommy Nutter. Uh, suit from the 80s, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a pinstripe suit that he had made for him by this wonderful tailor back in the day on mm-hmm. Savile Road uh, named Tommy Nutter, who, uh, you know, made conservative gentlemen's suits and then also did you know, all the stuff for Elton John. Yeah, and yeah. Just radical, crazy, mm-hmm. wild yeah, rock and roll I know, stuff. I know, and then suits. Yeah. So I know, I know, yeah. you know. Uh, and here's what was interesting is I, I just took the jacket and I wore it. And what was odd was that as I, when I received a compliment about it in, when I was in High Fidelity from an Englishman who liked the cut of the mm-hmm. lapel notch or something, I realized, oh my God, I've digitized a suit. And mm-hmm. it's now living in a parallel world. Right. Where, you know, it, from now the 70s, it, from the or, yeah, or, 70s, or 80s, 80s or something yeah. like that. And and now it has this whole other existence, yeah. which of course, you know, the estate of Tommy Nutter should probably be calling and saying. Uh, but and but all of these things will have implications yeah. because absolutely every object that we wear, interact with, a purse or whatever, will have this parallel uh, shape. And one of the companies that I'm involved with is uh, called Vatomic, and Vatomic atoms are virtual atoms. So they're created by a, a guy named uh, Eric and. Uh, and they're the digital uh, representation of a physical object that you can find on a map, a la mm-hmm. Pokemon, but you can also remove from the map, and you can carry that and carry these things into virtual right. worlds, exchange them, barter them. There, There's right. a whole level of... Yeah. Uh, and it's, you start yeah. really start thinking about all the things that need to happen for us to find work when work is replaced by... 
robots. you know, by robots yeah. and things like that. I mean, to me, this is, feels yeah. like that, that world. Uh, yeah. So the, the ultimate um, humanitarian use for something like um, high fidelity, I mean, has ultimate possibilities. And, and I think, I think we need to explain it a little bit more because without really experiencing it, it just sounds like we are so freaking weird. You're right. Um, and so, which we are. Yeah, but we are. That's okay. <laughs> but there's, there's this, I think, if, if you were to think about how this place could serve a purpose. One of the things that I thought of, and this is just a minute thing, one of the things I thought of is someone who is so handicapped they can't move. They're isolated in a world um, where maybe their minds are brilliant and moving and but they physically can't move. They could go into this space and fly. Yeah. I mean, I was flying and yeah. I didn't want to fly, but I was flying and, and moving and the opportunity, and that's just a very small concept, but that this person could be walking and jumping and dancing and flipping around and their spirit could be set free and they could express themselves in volumes of possibilities and potential. And that's one little thing. It is. But yeah. then the grand scale of the world and the universe, by having this parallel universe, has opportunities. The only thing is, I still, in order for me to visualize what those opportunities are, I keep going back to the avatar because without the honesty of the avatar being a true replication or a true authentic version of you. I mean, your avatar had your gestures and your movements, and I'm sure they're going to be more and more evolved and almost as lifelike as we're seeing each other. But there's something about hiding behind an, um, an image, a fantasy, that I'm concerned about the honesty of it. I'm concerned about the, the responsibility yeah. and, and the, the importance of behavior. Mm -hmm. When you hide like we do in our phones and social media and these anonymous or these, this behavior that can hide, it's, it just doesn't always rise to the top. And so that was my only concern, that if there are these animated figures, would I feel compelled to be protective and to, to sort of hide behind you? <laughs> or how would, how would we move forward in a humanitarian, spirited way, with accountability. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's the that is your your zero in on. There are so many fears about all of this. I mean, I, when you you said earlier, and when you speak to your friends about being in VR experiences, and they're they're concerned or they're worried. I mean, one big fear that people have is that the people will disappear into it. They'll be there for you know all and their never life come and never back. come back. And you know, on some level, maybe that'll happen. Although physically, it's pretty tough to yeah, be in there for yeah. more than a few hours. Anyway, yeah, it's I mean, really twenty minutes, not half yet, an hour. Not yeah. yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but I, I agree with you. I mean, I think that codes of conduct and what you say—it's it, you go into a world that is where there are not—it's not robots and AI that's powering these particular avatars. Mm. Although that'll happen also, yeah. and you—you won't know. Um, but uh, but you're right. You you. You speak differently when you think that there are no consequences to what it is that mm. you're saying, and uh, yeah, I. I so I it's like a little idea. like the Wild West, where it's just open right now. It's so just open. It, 
you know, we should probably discuss the mechanics a little bit of just VR for right. people who don't so know do it. That. But you, yeah. you have a you have a headset. Some right. you know, one of five or six companies that have headsets, and uh, um, I won't give any one of them a plug. plug. <laughs> but yeah. but and they're expensive. But relatively, what used to cost hundreds of thousands of dollars for a headset. Uh, now it's maybe five or six, seven hundred dollars, something like that, and the price drops and drops and drops every yeah. every few months. Um, the problem is, is that to experience the really great stuff, you have to then have a two or three thousand dollar computer to plug it into, which right. that, that prices most of humanity out of yeah. out of the experience. So we're waiting. All of us are just waiting for this moment in time when when it when the price drops to that sweet right. spot where it's something on the level of buying a gaming platform or something mm. like that. Four or five hundred dollars all in, great experience. And then all the bandwidth and you know five G or whatever it else is, is that we need to yeah. be able to do it and globally yeah. because you want to be able to yes. connect with people all over the world yeah. and you can right now. Yeah. But you know it's uh, uh, so so you put on your headset and then you go into a, a high fidelity in this case. You obviously gaming and all of these things are. Are possibilities in there too, and there are tons of mm. different things that you know companies but are doing. But that's not really what See, that, the experience was, is for me and yeah. for you. Yeah, I I couldn't wait to get my VR headset a few years ago, and when it arrived, I went in, and then I just only time I found myself in there was showing somebody how cool it was to be in an aquarium or something. But right. and that's amazing. It's wonderful. Yeah. It's incredible. But it didn't feel practical or useful to mm. me. What what I loved about what we're, we've been experiencing is that it's a it's just it's another place, mm. but it's a place where we can we we are this you know unbounded un, unfettered mm -hmm. creatures. And you you yeah. said also about the the handicap people. Um, I I was a you know it's interesting you said that I was a personal care assistant for a couple of years for a guy in uh, when I was in college and just in between. And he's Joe Tringali, yeah, and he's quadriplegic. An amazing guy, amazing, and he taught me so much. And we were just communicating, we stayed in touch, and we were just communicating a bit about VR, and he was saying that he'd been frustrated with the experience of being in VR because it's still a gaming console. And while he can push his palm enough to drive a truck, uh, you know, he can, he can do that. To, he yeah. can't, doesn't have the motor control ah. to be able to actually, know. and I thought, you know, he always said to me, the world really isn't uh, handicapped. Uh, I'm not handicapped. The world is handy. The world could be made so that everybody could, you know, mm -hmm. roll through it. And uh, and I thought, yeah, that's actually a really great point. We've got to be, we have to be careful at this moment in time that we're inventing a whole new piece of technology in a whole other world, and yet we're doing leaving it in a way that it's, and we're leaving yeah. people out. But, I, but yeah. aging is yeah. going to be an extraordinary mm. thing. Yeah. When you when you think that in your 90s or your hundreds or whatever you can you can. Be in these worlds. Yeah, yeah, and I and I also think the um, the once the price goes down, that's when the creativity begins. That's when there'll be a flood of ideas. I mean, and maybe this can be controlled just by voice, or you know, yeah. not manually. And I I think that that those things will obviously come. But getting the price down, everybody wants that because. Unless you can afford creativity, it just closes the door to every opportunity. And I don't want people to think that just because we were talking about the handicap that that's the only value. I think um, when something is affordable, that's when genius comes through and you can see the potential for so much. Well, an ad yeah. agency right now has such a hard time selling what yeah. it's done for years. Yeah. Making, you know, slick commercials. Yeah. When, you know, when you can have a, what do they call it, a, a predator, you know, a producer, writer, editor, mm -hmm. is and a person with an iPhone are exactly what we're doing that, here. Yeah. Done. Done. I mean, that, that's a, that is when it becomes yeah. really, really unbound. I, I think, too, the, the, the moment that we're in also now is that we have to create experiences that 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 mean something and that are transformative and that are accessible mm -hmm. to lots of different people and in the short term this project that we're working on in Las Vegas area 15 mm -hmm. is it to to me the reason that we're building it is because it wants to be this sandbox uh, mm -hmm. sort of palace for the human imagination yeah. that allows the the general public to walk in you know for free 
and see a world and start to you know start to acclimate to uh, to its texture and its mm-hmm. light and all of these things. Not not in VR, just as real. These, as yeah, yeah. real sculptures and yeah. and incredible things. And then uh-huh. and then begin to see what it's like to take on all these different layers of uh, of reality mm-hmm. in a in an environment that's conducive to that play and that kind of exploration. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, I yeah. I think that what you're doing is um, is so needed now. First of all, it's the ultimate creative experience, right? There's every level of uh, touching the senses and exciting the senses and having a place like that. But I think. I think Ian did a brilliant job with Studio 54 in creating these experiences for people that were otherworldly, and he would do it every time there was a party. And there's been sort of a gap between that intensity, which is why the memory of Studio 54 won't die, that those those experiences were visceral, they were real, uh, and they were unforgettable. And then we've had this dry period. But I think one of the benefits of having a device that we have our heads in all the time is that we are intrinsically in need of these experiences again, these stimulating experiences that excite us and change everything we've been thinking and open doors to ideas. So talk about what what you are aiming to achieve there. Sure. Well, I think rather counterintuitively, uh, reality at this moment in time is the most immersive and virtual <laughs> exactly. world that we can experience. The, but we're, we're sort of raising the bar on what we want reality to be like. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that... I think that a lot of human, well, I shouldn't say human beings across the world, most human beings across the world are just hoping that it won't, you know, rain and that there's going to be food. And mm-hmm. I mean, really, that's the, yeah. the state of the state of affairs. So it's a, it's, you know, in, in, in imagining all of these worlds, it's important to think that it's not, it's not everyone. Mm-hmm. It's uh, at first, although I think ultimately it will, will be a real benefit mm-hmm. to everyone. I think that VR is going to be like wallpaper was in the 1800s or whenever it mm-hmm. was invented. It was the, it was murals mm-hmm. that only kings and queens could afford, and suddenly anybody could make their home a beautiful, beautiful place. Change you know, the small environment. And, yeah, and change the environment yeah. in, a, in a really powerful way. And so things like VR are not, it's not going to, I don't think it's going to be about us spending 20 hours a day in there. I think it's, I mean, it's not going to replace our phones and, or, or books or hell magazines, no. you know, magazines no. are great by the yeah. pool and magazines are fantastic. If they were invented today, they would be the mm-hmm. most extraordinary technology, you know, oh my gosh, this is, you know, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I think you're right. I think that, that it is, it's a, it's a separate thing, mm-hmm. a separate kind of experience. Yeah. So what, what are your thoughts about AI? Yeah, sure. Um, I think that, well, I'll, I'll answer your question about uh, Area 15 mm-hmm. first, because okay. I, I, uh, right. I didn't stay on point there. Um, and it's a good question. Uh, we're building, we're building a, a, a world, this you know, 250,000 square foot building that is not trying to be the most glitzy thing in the world. It's about raw creativity. So it's sort of the the cardboard box at Christmas rather than the shiny toy. Mm-hmm. And both are really engaging. But what's so engaging about the cardboard box is how how much potential there is in it for, mm-hmm. for it to be so many different yeah. different things. And so Area 15 is an exploration of, of that and partnered with all kinds of in, incredible tenants and and, uh, and and groups. We have Meow Wolf coming in and they're our mm-hmm. anchor tenant. And uh, Meow Wolf is just a sort of a, a psychedelic playground that you that you experience walk through um, for, for the, it just probes deep parts of the imagination and things are possible in there. And, Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and I, I love that. And I love that. um, I love that people now want to be the center of their movie. Yeah. It's an odd. Yeah. It's an it, odd thing, it, it, and it's happened before. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were talking about you know the Michelangelo and, mm-hmm. and Renaissance. That that was a huge paradigm shift where human beings suddenly thought, wait, we're the we're the story. Yeah. It's not about 
all the outside forces. We're yeah. the center of our universes. And, and that was a huge, a huge shift. Mm. It changed absolutely everything in, in, in our thinking. Mm. And now I think that uh, our, the expectation of living and, and the experiential mm. uh, economy, say, that's growing is a... That, that's a good thing. Very, because people very wanna, important. Yeah, people want to live and they yeah. feel that they deserve to. Mm. They deserve to have meaningful lives yeah. that, where they're affected and they affect yeah. and, 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 it's a, and it's a give and take uh, thing. That, that's wonderful. And um, kids, kids have play dates that are so controlled now. I remember playing in boxes and doing things and being out with my friends and not having a controlled period of time where I had to play piano or had, yes, I had to go to ballet class and do things like that, but for the most part, every day was an exploration and an experience. And then as we grow up now, and as you see generations grow up, there's still segmented experiences. And now with these mobile devices, those experiences are less and less, and there are more interactions with a device. And so I think having more of these things, including VR, are extremely healthy for our society. And, and I think it's a new expression of art and everything. AI, to yeah, me, is, is uh, another area of extreme opportunity. And I was telling you about my, my tutorial uh, with some scientists who are AI scientists, and, um, and they literally uh, were talking to me about a project, but I asked them to give me an updated AI tutorial because what I knew, I'm sure they knew 20 times more. And, um, and I, they went through AI in medicine, AI in security, AI in the arts, in music, in everything. And a lot of people know some of the things that can be done. But then there's the AI of intelligence where you can download your brain and it can be swooshed around and then given back to you whenever you want it for whatever reason. And that is such a breakthrough because if you think about how emotions affect some of our decisions and how um, a crisis affects a decision. And there are times where you have to make important decisions, like the head of a country has to make an important decision. If those decisions can be made without the distractions and they're sober and clear-headed, there's, there's tremendous value in that. And not just for a decision, but for actions and and creativity and opportunities. Um, and I am so shocked that most people know very little, if anything at all. And I I am also shocked that we as a country aren't being educated or aren't wanting to know more because other people may have more AI and intelligence or investment than we have. And that can be very dangerous for our country. Mm -hmm. So what are your thoughts about AI? I think that, uh, I mean, you've, you've covered so many of the, of the key points there. Uh, I mean, most people would be surprised to know that we're already in it. Yeah, oh, we're I mean, in it's, it. It's, we're in you're, it. You're so in it that it's yeah. that. That's probably what a lot of people fear is that they don't understand how. How did I get into it, and why, and yeah. how, and why was I not consulted, and right. and all of those things. Uh, but short of going into the past or legislating against such things, it's mm -hmm. happening. So mm -hmm. the, the we are we're. We're in a train in left the station a long time ago, yeah. and jumping off the train would yeah. hurt a lot. <laughs> you know, maybe better to sort of find a seat and get yeah. comfortable yeah. because uh, it is where we're. It, yeah. it is where we are. It's not even where we're headed. It's where we are. Yeah. And you're so right that um, 
you know, all the different, uh, all the different, we each have this threshold of how far we think is okay. Mm. You know, that we just sort of, we just, yeah. everybody has that, this, this moment that they feel like, well, um, that's too much. You know, I, I don't want that. The way I feel about AI is that it, it, we have to find peace with it and we have to, uh, it's, it is that pocket calculator. Mm. Uh, and I recognize that it's very, it is, a, it, but it's the first time that it's ever happened to mm. humanity. I think that the, where, we're, where we are headed to, not quite where we are, but where we're headed to, the last time that we were affected as human beings in such a way was not the internal combustion engine or television. or It was, it was not the unlocking of the, the atom, although arguably mm. that probably is. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it, it's fire. Yeah. I mean, fire was the last time that we, we received uh, this knowledge <laughs> and were so fundamentally transformed mm. as a species. Well, and that's where we are. Yeah, I, I, mean, I agree. I think it's that monumental. And I also think um, we're experiencing disruption now, but this is going to take the disruption to another level simply because... It's not going to be about the military anymore. It's intelligence. We all know that Mm. anyway. And the thing is, dealing with the reality of it is the disturbing part because as a superpower, where do we stand in that world and how do we identify ourselves in that world? That's the real question. Do you have any books that you would recommend people to read who found this conversation interesting and didn't think we were like totally out of our minds? Yeah, I think uh, anything like Sapiens and Homo Deus and Mm -hmm. 21 Lessons for the 21st Century, all all written by one author. Mm -hmm. Where did he come from? I know. How is he able to express these things? It's just, it's extraordinary. But I think, I mean, the easiest way to understand VR is to read, read, maybe see the movie but it, the book is just so much better and it's such a page turner but to read ready player right. one it's a crash course in just Pos- you know what, what yeah the dark yeah. side of yeah. it but it unlocks and shows you what could happen if it wasn't the dark right. side of it necessarily it's not dark it's mm. just that i mean any technology is what we do with it mm. i think our fear right now is that we feel that technology is going to do something with us yeah that robots right. will take over. Yeah, and I don't think robots will take I, over. As I think long, they... yeah, as long as we have the ability to think and create, mm-hmm. um, we still have more power than the robot. The robot can only do what we want it to do, but AI has other possibilities, yeah. though. So we have to really be wise and. Um, and smart about how we have to invest in it. We have to really get behind it and and stay ahead of the game. We know China is very invested. The leader of the country is invested in it. Mm -hmm. And so because we have two parties and we have a system that's worked beautifully through the years to keep us balanced, this may take us down because if our two parties don't agree that AI exploration is key for the future of the country, we will not, we will be behind not just one country, but several others. So it is important that as a country, there is no Republican Party, Democratic Party when it comes to understanding the survival of the country as one country with a, a goal to protect and to to actually rise up and above what AI can be. Yeah, and I think approached with optimism. Yes, positive. Uh, then it, no one sets out to build a, a, a polluting, rotten city. Right. They don't. We set out to build a beautiful world with towering skyscrapers and a place for all. Like right. no one, it's that there are consequences to, to, you know, yeah. everything. That that's the challenging part of, mm. of of where we are right now. But I think that if we can if we can look at this moment, if we can find the leaders and the midwives and the people who 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 are on some level tr- trusted to mm-hmm. to make this a, a habitable place and a, a positive place then yes it it 
it solves so many, mm. so many issues. Well, we're going to have to continue this I again <laughs> at another time because you know we will have stuff. All right, so I can't wait to hear the comments about how cuckoo we are. You um, sounded pretty nuts. But, okay. it, but, it, but I think sometimes you have to be a little cuckoo. I look at the people who have invented some really interesting things. They are a little cuckoo, but you still can be grounded and, and feel free to go into some of these other places. So we just have, and we did it without drugs. Amazing. 100%. Delicious herbal tea. Yes, the but. tea the <laughs> tea can take you places. Spot on. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Michael. Norma, what a pleasure. You are divine.